As we get into the message this morning, I came across uh, a quote from a Christmas card. Um, I don't know who wrote the Christmas card, uh, so I can't give them any credit, and I It goes this way, I asked God to take away my pride, and God said no. He said it was not for him to take away, but for me to give up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole, and God said no. Her spirit is already whole. Her body is only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience, and God said no. He said that patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It isn't granted. It's earned. I asked God to give me happiness. God said no. He said he gives blessings. Happiness is up to me. I asked God to spare me pain, and God said no. He said I must grow on my own, but he will prove me to make me more fruitful. I asked God if he loved me, and he said yes. He gave me his only son who died for me, and now will be in heaven someday because I believe. I asked God to help me love others, as much as he loves me. And God said, ah, finally. Now you have the idea. Ah, finally. Now you have the idea. That last phrase right there that's on the screen um, is the essence of what being a follower of Jesus Christ is all about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus raised the banner or the, the uh, level just a little higher when he said, Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. In the past couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, I don't know, I lose track. We've been in first John chapter four. And uh in this chapter, uh, we come to the third time since chapter 1 where John tells us that we are to love one another. Love one another. Last Sunday, we looked at verses 13 through 21. And I suppose if my goal was simply to make our way verse by, by verse and chapter through a book of the Bible, that we would go on to chapter 5, verse 1. And maybe some of you prepared for chapter 5, verse 1 this morning. Um, but since I see my assignment as being higher than just a Bible school teacher, which I'm not, but being the shepherd responsible for us growing in our faith, maturing in our faith, it's not a matter of we completed a book of the Bible. It's a matter that the Bible got in us and did something to us. So this week as I was someplace and had to wait 30 or 40 minutes, I opened up my phone and clicked on my Bible commentary app, which has I don't know how many commentaries in it. There's more there than I can ever read. But I just plugged in First John chapter 4 and chapter 5, and it was a commentary I hadn't read yet and, uh, for, for First John. And, and Warren Risbury, what he's had to share in the commentary, uh, 
much of what you're going to hear today was, comes from what I read. And we're going to back up. And we're going to run again at parts of the passage that we've already looked at. And uh, I might repeat a few things. But how did you learn the Pythagorean theorem? Do you even remember that? In a right triangle, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. In geometry class. And Mr. Piper made sure that you memorized that, and if you ever missed it, he said, what's the Pythagorean theorem? And he made you duck walk from the room. Um, and by, it was repetition that we learned A squared plus B squared equals C squared in a right triangle. And uh, amazing how often I've used that in building houses or building rooms or building something. It was something that was useful. We learn by repetition. And the reality is, you'd be rather remarkable if you remember 10% of what I shared last Sunday. Very remarkable. And if you remember 2% of what I shared two weeks ago, you are really super. So some of you aren't even going to know that I've repeated some of the things I'm going to say today, but I'm not repeating the same message. I'm coming at the message from a different perspective today. I give that disclaimer for those who have perfect you know, photographic memory, and you can remember everything I said the last two weeks. Bear with us. Bear with us. First John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Love one another. I said a few minutes ago that this is the third time in this letter that John is writing to the church, probably to Ephesus and all of Asia Minor, to be passed around. The third time that he gives us this command, love one another. In chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, he says, love, loving one another is proof of our fellowship with God. That proves we really are walking in fellowship with God because we love one another. We can't say we are in fellowship with God if we don't love our brother. In chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, loving one another is proof of our sonship in God's family. It's proof of our sonship in God's family. Barry talks about the fact that if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. You're a liar. You don't love God. And so it's proof that we are in God's family. In chapter 4, verses 4 through 16, we find out why loving is such an important part of a real Christian's life. John helps us understand this. Our love for one another validates our claim for fellowship with God and our acceptance in the family of God. Loving one another validates, yes, I've been born again and I've been accepted into the family of God. It's proof. It's validation. Love is God's nature. Amen? So if I'm part of God's family, love will have to be evident in the way that I interact with people. Navigators, 
hikers, hunters, many of them use a common tool. They all use a compass to help them get to where they want to go. There's this thing about a compass. They are under the influence of the magnetic pull of Earth. Now, you might think that happened by happenstance. I happen to think God put it there. That's just my belief. God put it there. But a compass will always point to magnetic north. A compass will always be attracted to that. By the same token, God is love. And a believer will naturally practice love. Not a forced response, but a natural response. Because God's love attracts us towards him. And as we love God, his love flows through us. And becomes proof of our fellowship with God. So read verse 7 one more time. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Whoever love has been born of God and knows God. And then we see the command again in verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Three times the admonition is love one another. And in this passage that we're going to look at today between verses 7 and 16, um, John gives to us three uh, attributes of God or facts about God that support this charge for us to love one another. The first one is what God is. What God is. God is love. Again, reading verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Now, I did share with you last week that this is the third statement that John makes about God is. The first statement that he made is God is spirit. God is spirit. He made that in the gospel, in his gospel account. In John chapter 4, when he has the encounter with the woman at the well of Sychar. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is not confined to time and space. God is not confined to a human body. Now Jesus, he has a body of flesh, a glorified body, and when we get to heaven, we're going to have that same kind of body. More than I understand, but I'm looking forward to that day because John writes in his letter back in the third chapter that we don't know what we'll be like, but we know this, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. God is spirit. We read in John chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light. God is light. John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. When it says God is light, more than anything, what that means is it refers to his holiness. 
Light is a symbol of holiness in the scripture. Darkness is a symbol of sin. For example, look at what John wrote in his, chap- in his gospel in chapter 3, right after, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And verse 19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In verse 20, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Telling us this, God cannot sin. He is absolutely holy. God cannot sin. He's absolutely holy. And here's the thing. Because we're born again, we now have his nature in us. Peter put it this way in his letter. In verse 14 of chapter 1, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. How does that take place? How does that transpire? How do I become holy because he's holy? In his second letter, he writes in the first chapter, verse 4, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. As we appropriate and put the word of God into action in our lives, Peter said, we begin to partake of his divine nature. Remember, Paul said in Romans 8, 29, that God's goal for us is that we would become like Jesus Christ. That we would become like him. We would walk like him. We would talk like him in our conducts. By his grace, through the spirit that lives in us, God is light. And God is is love. He did not write love as God. It has been said, love does not define God, but God defines love. Love does not define God, but God defines love. God is love. God is light. That means his love is a holy love. And his holiness is expressed in love. I have said it recently that that everything God does, including his judgments, are an expression of his love and his holiness. You cannot separate the two. When we say that God is spirit, God is light, and God is love, it's not multiple choice. It's not one or the other. 
It is all three. You can't take them, the one you want, according to your personal taste. They are inseparable. To use an analogy from our human body, it's God's DNA. It's the nature of God. He is a, God the Spirit. God is light. God is love. And the reason I say that is there are groups of people in our culture today who want to take this statement, God is love, and make it the banner over their way of thinking and their way of living life. If God is love, then I can do whatever I want because God is love. It does not work that way because God is also light, which means God is holy. And there are things that are sin that will bring condemnation and eternal judgment in spite of the fact that God is love because God is righteous, God is holy. As I read the scriptures, I come to this conclusion that God's definition of love is far different and far superior to man's definition of love. So much of what the world calls love is really infatuation. So much of what the world calls love is really about feelings, what makes me feel good, what pleases me, what I want. God's love, agape love, is all about self-sacrifice. It's all about doing what's best for the recipient of my love. Verse 10 says this, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In this is love. I don't think it'd be wrong to write it. In this way is seen the true love. In this way is seen the true love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son. A love that's holy. A love that's spiritual. A love that's real. God is the source. Paul wrote in Romans 5, 5 about this love and how it relates to you and me today. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into where? Into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How can we love one another? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. John, Peter, Paul, they all understood the same thing. Christ in us means that his nature has been placed in us to be perfected in us. Now, you'll never be perfect till you get to heaven because you're still walking in this flesh. But there ought to be an ongoing maturity where I become more Christ-like. Love becomes the predominant response to life as I grow in my faith in Jesus Christ. His nature has been given to us because God is light and God is love. 
The only logical thing is that we would walk in holiness to the best of our ability and let the love of God flow through us. The only logical response is for us to love each other as God loves us through the power of Jesus Christ who lives in us. So how we love each other is the absolute test and the absolute proof of being born again and being ready to go to heaven. Again, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And knows God. Who's ever been born of God knows God. You might want to underline that in your Bibles or your note if you have your Bibles open. The word know, as it is used many times in the Bible, goes way beyond the intellectual acquaintance or understanding. It is a word to experience the ultimate intimacy experienced by human beings. The first time I remember reading it is back in the book of Genesis in the King James language. And Adam knew Eve. And she conceived and bore Cain. Now we're talking about close knowledge. Really intimate knowledge. We're talking about the ultimate relationship that God created for a man and a woman. When he says, whoever's been born of God knows God, there's that same inflection, that same intonation. We have come into a living relationship with the living God. Let me remind you what he says in chapter 2, verses 3, 1 John By this we know that we've come to him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. So when I read these verses together, to know God means to be in deep relationship with him to share his life and enjoy his love. I don't just know about God, but it means to be in a deep relationship with him, to share his life and enjoy his love. Now, there are millions of people across the world who have a degree of love and a level of love for the people in their lives. Many of them have some understanding that there must be a God overall that we see But what they lack is a personal experience with God. They have not come into a personal experience of the God who's light, the God who is love living in their heart. My ongoing prayer is that in each day we live here in the United States of America, that there be a moving of God that brings a great awakening that people by the hundreds and the thousands would come into a personal experience that they might be able to say, I know, I know that I know that I know that there's a God in heaven and there's a God living in my heart today by the power of his love and the grace that comes to me through the cross of Jesus Christ. What God is determines what we ought to be. 
God is light. God is love. is love perfected with us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world we talked about this last week we talked about now we are the sons of God now we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ now we are seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ but I want you to think of it from this perspective this morning as he is, so also are we in this world. As we live out our faith in Jesus Christ, expressing love, living in the light, people around us are going to get a glimpse of who he is. As he is in this world, so are we. My mind went back a number of years to a song that I used to sing. This is a solo that was sung by um, Beth Ellis written by Vep Ellis. And somebody says, who Vep Ellis? He was the soloist who traveled with Oral Roberts when Oral Roberts was holding tent meetings all over the United States. And uh, the title of the song was, Let Me Touch Him. And the chorus said, Oh, to be his hand extended, reaching out to the oppressed. Let me touch him. Let me touch Jesus so that others know and be blessed. And he captured this thought that the only Jesus some people will ever see is the Jesus that flows through us as we express the love of God to them. Not that we're the one who died on the cross, but we have his presence living in us. To know God means that on a daily basis we're becoming more and more like him. I keep coming back to that as his love flows through us. A person who knows God will be personally affected by the relationship. We ought to become what God is. God is love. So John says we love one another. The second point is what God did. What God did. He sent his son. He sent his son. Verse 9 said, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love God one another. Now I realize there are people who in the name of science want us to believe that we're on this planet by chance. Everything we see is by chance. But an honest look at creation and we see there's a God who created everything and when he created this world, he created it to accommodate human beings. Science is always looking at the other planets. I mean, they're looking at Mars as that's a planet that we can inhabit as human beings. From the pictures that I see, that's really a far stretch compared to what I see on this planet. I believe it was God's love that created this planet. The picture I get of Adam and Eve in the garden, the place of perfection, 
I mean, everything was there for them to enjoy. It was a revelation of the love of God. Sin marred that. That was the first revelation of God's love, is the creation, in my opinion. Then I believe that God revealed his love in his dealings with the nation of Israel. His dealings with Abraham's seed was all about revealing his love. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8 says this, It was not because you were more in number than other people the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Word of the Lord through Moses. He's speaking to the Israelites, getting ready to go into the promised land. You're here because God loves you. You're here because God loved Abraham, and he made a promise to Abraham. And because you're Abraham's seed, he's keeping that promise to you. But the greatest expression of God's love is in the death of his son. It's in the death of his son. Romans 5, 8 said, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9 said this in 1 John, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. It was made manifest. Manifest means to come out in the open, to, to be made public. It's the opposite of hidden or secret. And as we look at the Old Testament and the way that God told Moses to create the tabernacle, there was a certain amount of God being hidden and the ritual, and the, and the ceremony that surrounded the worship, even into the temple. But when Jesus showed up, life was manifested. And he said, the Father was seen in him. Jesus came, and Jesus was manifested. He was made public. He was made known to take away our sins. That's what John said in 1 John 3, 5. He was manifested to take away our sins. In verse 8 of chapter 3, Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. When did that happen? On the cross. On the cross. God's love was manifested on the cross where Jesus died for you and me. In this, the love of God was manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent his son. I think that today is the beginning of Advent for the people who keep that church calendar, the beginning of that waiting period for the coming of the Christ child. The waiting of the promise Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God sent his only son. The King James Version says his only begotten son, just as John wrote in John 3, 16. His one-of-a-kind son, the unique son. 
The fact that God sent his son into the world is one of the evidences of the deity of Jesus Christ. Remember, John is writing to people who said Jesus was not deity. He was not the son of God. He was not really God. But John wants us to know, and you need to know, and you need to believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God sent His Son. That's an interesting concept there. Babies are not sent into this world from some other place. Now, I did go to a Mormon funeral once where they said there was a planet with babies waiting, baby souls waiting for a vacant body. When that vacant body came vacant, this baby came to earth, and I wanted to stand up, and, but I didn't. <laughs> In respect to the fact of the family that I knew, and, and anyway, babies are born. Born in the flesh, through the womb. Jesus was born... The angel said, unto you, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Unto you this night in the city of David is born. But he was unique in this fact. He existed before he was born. He was sent from the Father by agreement. The Son agreed. It wasn't, they had that agreement before the foundation of the earth. He was sent. Almighty God, Spirit, who cannot be contained in the heavens, allowed himself to be confined in the womb of a woman, in the embryo that was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, a divine creative miracle. The same kind of miracle when God said, let there be light and there was light. Let there be a firmament in the heavens and there was a firmament in the heavens. God said, you my son, part of me from ever and ever and ever, be confined to this body for a period that is marked in the book until you give your life. He was Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, he's God with us. Jesus was sent that we might live. That's in verse 9. Paul tells us we were dead in our trespasses. But here's the, the irony of it. Because he died, we live. Because he died, we live. Jesus was sent to be the propitiation for our sins. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, no more than that, a couple of months ago, the propitiation, that's back in chapter 2. Jesus died to pay the full price that God's righteousness demands for sin, the death of a perfect man. God is light. But because God is love, he sent his son to pay the price. December 25th, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And that was an important and amazing event. And born of a virgin... But God didn't tell us to remember his birth. God told us never to forget his
is death. God told us never to forget his death because in his death he was made sin so that in his resurrection we would find life and life eternal. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. I told you a couple of weeks ago that word ought means it's our responsibility. That's a debt we owe. We owe that debt. It's our responsibility. But just as much as it is our responsibility, I want you to know it's our privilege to love each other. It is our privilege to love each other. Jesus tore down every wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and, and master. He tore down every wall that we could be one body of Christ, one family of Christ. We can love each other. Jesus made it possible for every one of our sins to be forgiven so that we can forgive every one of their sins against us. want that to sink in because Jesus said if you don't forgive your brother you know then the father can't forgive you he made it possible you see I can't forgive well, yes you can Jesus took it and nailed it to the cross and he left it in the grave and he came with the keys to give us the ability to love to forgive Because redemption was paid for in full. Next Sunday, we will follow one of the ordinances that Jesus gave to us. He gave us two. One is to repent and be baptized in water for the remission of sins. The second one is to, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do so in remembrance of me. And as long as you do this, you show the Lord's death until he comes. We show his death until he comes. You know, the communion time can be a time of great sentiment and feeling, especially when you sing songs like, Oh, I'll cherish the old rugged cross. And sometimes when we're taking communion, we overcome and we might weep or we rejoice. And there's nothing wrong with that, and I love that. But it needs to be more than just Because I see people have an incredibly emotional experience in worship service, communion services, and go out still in bondage to a habit, a hurt, a hang-up. Nothing changes. They had an emotional moment, but they didn't allow the whole person to become involved in that spiritual moment. The mind must understand spiritual truth. The mind must understand that Jesus died in my place to set me free from sin, and now he lives inside of me to give me power over sin. The heart must love and appreciate what God has done. My heart must love and appreciate the Lord, and my will must act on it. My will must act on it. Show me your faith. James said, I'll show you 
my faith by my works, because faith without works is dead. Your works do not save you, but because you are saved, you live out your salvation. The deeper we go into the meaning of the cross, the greater our love for Christ and the greater our love and concern for the people of Jesus Christ. God is love. God sent his son. Number three, what God is doing. What God is doing. God abides in us. God abides in us. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God, underlines this words, abides in us. His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we, underline this, abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God, again, abides in him and he in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I love the truth that God is love. For the rest of eternity, I'm going to be trying to wrap my mind around the magnitude of God's love for me. I love the truth that God did something for us. He sent his son to redeem us from death and hell. But listen to this. God does something in us. God does something in us. We are more, not merely students reading a book, we're far more than spectators in the grandstand watching the action on the playing field. I don't mind being in the stands at this age when I go to a ball game. But the first few years out of high school, college, I hated to go watch a ball game because I wanted to be there on the field. Action. Um, What I want you to see is this. We are participants in the great drama of God's love. We're not spectators. We are participants. We are participants. In order to save money, a college drama professor purchased only a few scripts of a play And he cut up those scripts and gave each actor their their lines, and then they started a rehearsal with a dissected script. Things did not go very well the first hour. In fact, so many miscues and things, you know, that the actors were ready to give up. In fact, they did give up. He set them down on the stage and he said, now listen, I want to read to you the whole script. Don't say anything, just listen, and I'll read the whole script. And he read it from the beginning to the end. 
And when he gets to the end, one of the students said, so that's what it's all about. When they understood the whole picture, they were able to have a productive rehearsal as they began to put their lines together. That's what we get in these verses, in verses 12 through 16. God has a plan. He's had one from the beginning. And it goes something like this. God desires to live in us. God desires to live in us. God was not content to tell you, I love you. He was not content just to show us his love by sending Jesus. His desire was to live in us. Now, there's an interesting progression of God interacting with human uh, from the beginning. In Genesis, God came down in the cool of the evening and walked with Adam and Eve in a place of perfection until sin separated them. And then God showed them there's a way to restore this fellowship by the offering of a blood sacrifice. So as you read through the book of Genesis, you read things like this. And Enoch walked with God and was no more. Noah walked with God. Abraham walked with God. They could sing the song, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. In the book of Exodus, there's a change that takes place. God did not simply walk with men. He said, I want to dwell among you. In Exodus 25, verse 8, he said, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. They built a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, as God instructed. And when Moses dedicated that tent to the purpose that God had created or told them to create it, you remember what happened? The Shekinah glory of God came down in the shimmering cloud. And the presence of that cloud was so awesome that the priests were not able to minister in the place. And, 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 and God, that, that cloud would come down and set on the tent of meeting, and, and Moses would go in and speak to God, and Aaron would go in and, in the presence of God once a year. And whenever that cloud moved, the people moved. But God dwelt in the middle as around that tent. God dwelt in the midst of them. Samuel 4, there came a time when the glory of God departed from that tabernacle. The Philistines stole the Ark of the, uh, of the Covenant, and the glory departed. Ichabod. Remember the lady named her son Ichabod. The glory has departed. David, Solomon, they renewed a worship to the living God. Solomon at David's request, built a temple. And you remember what happened when he dedicated that temple? Read in the book of First Chronicles, and the glory of God came down and filled that temple. And God dwelt behind the curtain in the holies of holies until the idolatry got to the point that God said, all right, Babylon, come and take these people of Judah into captivity. Ezekiel had a vision. He said, I saw the glory depart. 
you know what? There were people praying for the glory to come back again. And you read in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And for 33 years, Jesus walked among us. He walked among us. They saw his glory. He said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. But sinful man crucified the Lord of glory. But he did not stay in the grave. On Easter Sunday morning, he rose with a victor over sin and death. Forty days later, he ascended into heaven. Ten days later after that, the glory returned in the form cloven tongues of fire. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, And do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. He dwells in us. He dwells in people. He dwells in that individual who said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. How long will he be there? John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. To be with you forever. Verse 12 said in verse John 4, no one has ever seen God, we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Six times we underline the word abide. In verse 12 and verse 16. To abide in Christ means to remain in spiritual oneness with him so that no sin comes between us. To abide in Christ means to remain in spiritual oneness with him so that no sin can come between us. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Back to chapter 1. Because we're born again, we have union with Christ. But it's our obedience to his word and his presence that brings communion with him. This union and communion are made possible by the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you ever stopped and thought about that experience that the Israelites had when the glory of God came down on the Think of how much awe they had when they understood that God was behind that curtain. God's presence, the Spirit of God was in the Holy of Holies. That same presence, that same presence, Christ died for here in his love. God's love is proclaimed in the world. God's love is proved at the cross. God's love is proved at the cross. How much does God love you? So much that he stretched out his hands and said, nail me to the cross on your behalf. 
Here's the amazing thing. God's love is perfected in the believer. God's love is perfected in the believers. God's love is not made perfect in the angels. God's love is made perfect in sinners saved by grace. We are the temple in which God dwells. We are the channel through which God reveals his love to the world. We are the channel through which God reveals his love to the world. That Paul has said, oh, to be his hand extended, reaching out to the oppressed. If you ever read history about great preachers of yesteryear or read commentaries, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan's name will come up, a famous British preacher. He had five sons who all became preachers. One day, all six of them were in the family home, and a visitor was there. This visitor had the audacity to ask, which of you six is the best preacher? And they all answered almost in unison, mother. She, never, she had never preached a sermon in a church. Remember, life was a constant sermon on the love of God. A Salvation Army worker found a woman in the streets, desperate straits. She invited her to come into their chapel there for some help, but the woman refused to move. The worker assured her, we love you. We want to help you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. But the woman did not budge. As on divine impulse, the army lassie leaned over, kissed the woman on the cheek, taking her into her arms and hugging her. The woman began to sob. And like a child, she was led into the chapel where ultimately she gave her heart to Jesus Christ. You told me that God loved me, she said later. But it wasn't until you showed me that God loved me that I wanted to be saved. Jesus did not simply preach the good news. He proved it by giving his life. that he laid down his life for his friends and he did it for his enemies. And you know what? He expects us to do the same. Abide in his love. When we abide in his love, we will love others. And in fact, that is proof that we're abiding in him. God is love, is the basis for our relationship with God and with fellow man. God is love, is the basis for our relationship with God and fellow man. Because God is love, we can love. Now, love one another begins as a commandment. But I want you to know this. It becomes a privilege. But more than that, loving one another is also the consequence and evidence of our abiding in Christ. Loving one another is the consequence and the evidence of our abiding in Christ. 
Loving one another is not just something we ought to do, it becomes something we want to do. A couple more notes and I'm done. The better we know God's love, the easier it is to live as a Christian. People who say it's too hard to be a Christian don't understand how much God loves them. That's why Paul prayed, I pray that you might know the height, the breadth, the length, the depth of God's love for you. Because the more you understand his love, the easier it is to follow him, to love him. Bible knowledge without God's love in itself can be dangerous. For example, a young woman named Helen came from a church camp with a renewed passion to do I learned so many good things about I'm going to do it every single day. A week later, Joyce was vacuuming make all that noise. Don't you know I'm trying to have devotions? And then she slammed the door. <laughs> she hadn't learned that personal devotions are not an end in themselves if they don't help me to love one another. They don't accomplish anything. The Bible is indeed a revelation of God's love, and the better we understand that love, is, the easier it is to, be, to, be, to obey those words and to love others. Unless we love the lost, our verbal witness to them will be useless. Unless we love the lost, our verbal witness to them will be useless. A Mrs. Barton spoke up at the end of a Sunday school class. Pastor, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors, but I doubt anybody could love my neighbors. I've tried to be nice to them, and it just doesn't work. Perhaps being nice to them is not the real answer, the pastor explained. You know, it's possible to be nice to people with the wrong motive. You mean as though you're trying to buy them off? Well, something like that. I think you better pray that God will give you true spiritual love for your neighbors. If you love them in a Christian way, you'll not be able to do them any damage, the pastor pointed out. It took some weeks, but Mrs. Barton grew in her love for her neighbors. She also found herself growing her spiritual life. She shared, my neighbors haven't changed a whole lot, but my attitude toward them really changed. I used to do things for them trying to win their approval, but now I do things for Jesus' sake because he died for them, and it makes all the difference in the world. Last note. If we love God, we will love one another. And if we love one another, we will grow in our love for God. If we love God, we'll love one another. And if we love one another, we will grow in our love for God.